Well, if you will, grab your Bibles or your device and open them to the gospel according to Mark. So in the New Testament, it's Matthew and Mark. So New Testament, second book, first chapter. I want you to follow along with us and see in your own Bible what happened with Jesus and a man who was hopelessly sick and headed towards death. So I'll give you a chance to find that. Um, some of you may remember the show, so you'll show your age a little bit, but it was in the 2000, mid-2000s up to about 2012, maybe went longer than that, I'm not sure, but it was called uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. It was when HDTV really took off. HDTV, you know what that is, right? That's where you watch a program that tells you that you can uh, do a project in 30 minutes that will actually take you three years and millions of dollars, right? But our church got contacted back in that day, and, uh, and through some through, uh, re- relationships, uh, we got to be on that show, uh, our entire church, like anybody who wanted to be a part of it. So what we were going to go do was remodel this house to south of us, and, and then uh, they would get a new house, these people that were deserving of a new house, and they're going to have a brand new home for their family. So it was pretty awesome. I actually went there, it improved my prayer life, because I worked with Keith Dees on the electrical team. And I would pray for years, please don't let that house burn down, because it's going to be a big story about how the preacher wrongly wired the house. But if you don't remember this show, I'll tell you a little bit about it. There was a bus that cost over a million bucks, uh, it went a quarter million miles all over the country, and it it was job, this bus's job was to park in front of the cameras so that you couldn't see the, the finished product, the remodeled house. And then everybody would yell, some of y'all remember this, everybody would yell this, Move that. Okay, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Good. All right, cool. Some of you are like, I never saw that show. But it was really cool. This real energetic guy was on there, was the host. But anyway, so we're watching this. And here's what happened. We were going to go remodel this house. And the uh, production team said, we don't, we're not going to remodel this house. There's not enough here to remodel. We're going to tear it down. And we're going to build it from scratch. That's a lot easier. And I thought, that is a lot easier. Because I've tried to re- redo things and remodel things, and that's hard. I've taken things to the mechanic, and he said to me, you should have brought it here first. Because i got to fix what now you broke. So I know what it is to remodel, and I have a lot of respect for anybody who builds or remodels, but I think remodeling is a little harder than actually constructing. But our God is able to create by speaking the word, and everything that is came into existence. Y'all believe that? He spoke it, it's here. He's powerful enough to create, but he's also powerful enough to recreate. He's even able to take what is broken and make it right, what's old and make it new. It would be easier just to start all over, but that's not what God did for me, and it's not what God did for you if you're saved. He took what we were broken. He didn't just remodel us, y'all. He didn't just He didn't just make us something better. He made us something new. If you're here today without Christ and you've never yet been saved, know this. God didn't bring you here today by His providence to help you get on the track so that you could get better. What God wants to do is to restore a new heart in you. He wants to build you up again brand new and restore Him to Himself. And He can do that, y'all. He can do that. I want you to see how He did it here in Mark chapter 1 with a man who was in a desperate situation. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. If you don't mind, would you stand? I'm going to begin reading and down through verse 45. And a leper 
came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And a very important prayer request. This man came not doubting. He knew Jesus' power. He'd seen and witnessed it. And now he's asking, if you want to, you can. Moved with pity, Jesus moved with pity or compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Would you pray? Uh, Father, we are like this leper, whether we know it or not, in desperate need of your touch, hopeless without your help. Unless you come in and change our hearts, we are headed to death and death eternally. But you're able and you're willing if we'll come to you on your terms to heal us and to make us new and to continue that process even in those who are yours. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, the title is How Jesus Can Make You Clean, and it really is how He can take your mess and turn it into something that's not. This guy's life was a mess. His world was a mess, and you know, we live in a messed up world. We, we live in a, this world's a mess. Would you agree with that? Let me just say that. It's a mess. So we can kind of identify with this guy. He's in a desperate situation. He and another one that is going to be shown to us in chapter 2 are in situations of desperation, and only if God changes them will they be able to live. Um, Jesus came, and he was healing people, and he was casting out devils at, in his ministry, but all of that was a was to point to, the, to his message, that his message was from heaven, that his message was, was soul freeing. His message was the purpose. Last week you heard that God had one son and he was made a preacher. All the signs and miracles were to point to the message and point people to the gospel that their lives, their souls could be restored, that he could take away sin and restore us to God. We can identify with this man a lot, a lot. As a preacher, I sometimes, uh, pretty regularly, as fact, like other preachers on our staff, go to hospitals, and we, we care for people that are in desperate situations and uh, are unable to do anything except pray. Our spiritual care workers, we have a ministry, if you didn't know this, that actually shows up at hospital rooms and says, hey, we're here to care for you. If you would like prayer or if there's anything we can do for you, we'd love to serve you. And that might be up your alley. You might say, man, I would love that. I didn't know we did that. But we want more and more people in those desperate situations where people need to know that where doctors can't help and family can't do anything, there's a God in heaven who cares for their soul. And so they go in and tell them that, that God cares for your soul. But God can do for them what they don't sometimes know they need. Sometimes all they can see is, I need physical healing, but what God wants to do is to restore a right spirit in them and to give them a new heart. I have a son that's in an ER this uh, last few weeks training, and uh, he's telling us about what he's doing and stitching up and caring for people who've been shot and stabbed. And, uh, and he, can, he can care for them, 
and, and he can sew them up, but he's never going to restore them to the person they were before. He's only going to help them to get better from that sickness. But God does something different for us. He's able to take what is completely messed up in us and turning into something that is absolutely new, to take our sin from us. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to a man, and this man who everybody else would have turned away from because of his disease, Jesus turns towards. You see, when you come to Jesus, He will not turn you away. If you come to King Jesus, He will not turn you away. He will turn you around so long as you come on His terms. Let's talk about that this morning from this text. Number one, Jesus turns towards the one that others turn away from. See this man's predicament. He is a leper. Leprosy is mentioned 40 times in the Bible. It could be a plethora of diseases, all designating some sort of skin condition that oftentimes would lead to death. Some people thought that this disease actually originated from Egypt. When the children of Israel were there as slaves and building buildings, the dust of the bricks caused this disease to spread among the people. And so that's where many people in Jesus' day thought this terrible disease came from. Others um, from another place. People thought oftentimes that the disease came from heaven. In fact, the Jews in Jesus' day called leprosy, listen to this, the stroke of God. What do they mean by that? Well, they meant that if you got leprosy, God is not happy with you. He's mad at you. And the reason you are the way you are is because God sent this judgment on you. So imagine you're, you're, you're a leper, and you don't know where this came from, but what you have been told is you, you're messed up, and everyone wags their finger at you. Everyone looks down their nose at you because obviously you have done something that's really angered God. Now, the reality is all disease comes from one place. It comes from the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned against God and then corruption came onto the world, right? Everything that is evil and sinful came because one man chose to sin. I mean, there was a day when mosquitoes were pretty good to have around. But now, no idea. All because of the fall. I mean, there's a day, I, have a, I have a coon hound, and there was a day when coon hounds didn't stink. But I'm going to tell you what, they stink now. Every disease does come from sin. Indirectly, it comes because man chose to rebel against God. So this man here is in a desperate, helpless situation. Nowhere to turn. No one can help him. Doctors won't even see him. The priests aren't even allowed to touch him. So he comes the only place he knows to come, to Jesus. He's heard about others who've had a God moment. He's heard about others who have come to Jesus and have been set free from their diseases, from their demon possession. He's watched their witness. They've lived in such a way that shows that they are free, shows that they are healed. So he believes. He says, if God can do that for them, why can't he do it for me? He wants a God moment like they have. And the only place he can go is the one who can deliver him. We were in Brazil some, some years ago with a team here from church, and we were at a church that we'd actually built. While we were there ministering, an ambulance showed up. And out of the ambulance came a young 20-something couple. The girl was out of her mind cussing her husband and wanting to do bodily harm to anybody in her way. She was cursing God, cursing Jesus, and everyone didn't know what to do in that society, in that, that city. They put her in an institution. She escaped. This time, this, 
this husband actually took her to the hospital, to the emergency room, and the people in the emergency room said, there's some Jesus people at that church, maybe they can help you. That's why the ambulance showed up. I won't tell you the whole story right now, but God delivered her. That was a God moment that I'll never forget because nobody could help her but God. But we have a lot of God moments, don't we? I've got God stories where I could say, if it weren't for God, we have a church here who could say, if it weren't for God, there were times where we didn't know where to turn, what to do, or where resources were coming from, but God. And he was faithful. Where no one could help us, God could. And I pray, this is why I'm telling you this, I pray, and I hope you will pray with me, and that we come together and say, God, whatever you do through Hibernia Baptist Church and whatever locations we have, may you do it in such a way that when people see it, they will have to say, it had to be God. No strategy, no intelligence. I mean, there's no way we can put a, a, a quota on it. We can only say it was because of God. Here's a guy who comes to Jesus. He is hopeless and he is helpless, and he only knows that there's one named Jesus who can help him. He's also, if you can think about it, isolated, isn't he? Here's a guy who can't be around anyone else. Notice that he does not ask Jesus to heal him. He doesn't say, Jesus, will you heal me? He asks Jesus, will you make me clean? It's his uncleanness that is causing him to live apart from society, away from his family, isolated from everyone except for others that are also suffering whatever horrible disease he has. His loved ones and his faith family can't come to near him because he is out of fellowship because of his uncleanness. Yet, where everybody else runs away, Jesus runs in. And the presence of Jesus makes all the difference. Leslie and I dated for a number of years before we were married long distance. And I don't know if so some of you can remember this. Like, so most of you in here had a cell phone for a long time. I think I've had the same cell phone number since 1997. So they've been around that long. So it tells you how old I am. When I was in college and we didn't have cell phones, we had to wait on a pay phone. A pay phone. That's where you actually have to put money and hope that it, anything and hope that it actually works. But while you're doing this at college, you're also waiting in line to do it because there's only one or two pay phones that you can use. And while you're talking on the phone to your your baby, there's people behind listening in and telling you to hurry up because they got to call their mama to get money. I, 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 we, we dated that way, and th- then I lived in Michiana, up near Mich- Michigan, Indiana line, and Leslie worked in Tallahassee, and so we were engaged, but we were a long way away. Now, let me tell you, I just want to dismiss a misnomer. This misnomer that we've been taught is that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Can I tell you something? No, it doesn't. Presence makes the hearts grow fonder. Like when we got married and moved into the same house, that was awesome. Being apart from each other, that was not awesome. There are some of us in here who think that we can grow in our relationship with Christ and be absent, but it is presence that makes the heart grow fonder, and He is present, available, if you're willing to come to Him. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Here's a leper, and Jesus turns towards him. It reminds us, too, in our isolation, that we can undergo the lion of loneliness because we weren't built, by by the way, to to live alone. God made us to live in community where we can pray with each other and share with each other and care for each other and be known and know. 
mean, it's important that as a believer, you realize we cannot live off grid. You can't just go and decide, hey, we're going to buy an RV, get some solar panels and a, a rain bucket, and we're just going to get away from people and live off grid. You can't if you're a Christian. I know people do that, but they are not living on purpose, and they are not living on mission, because God didn't make us for that. God made us for people. Last weekend when we were in New York, we went to the city. I've never walked around New York City. Have you ever done that? It's amazing. I didn't think I'd like it. Pretty awesome place. The only thing is that there are millions and millions of people everywhere, and you know that. You can't walk without bumping into somebody. I literally had to say sorry three times. Then I realized in New York, you don't have to say sorry. You just bump into people and keep moving on. But as you walk around, you see all these people, but there are people with long faces in desperation. Maybe it is because they're around a lot of people and, yeah, alone. God didn't make us to be alone. He didn't make us to live in isolation. He made us to live in, in, in community, to know and be known. Leslie and I have had people in our house and lived in our home. We know what that's like to, for people to know everything about us, but that's, that, that's the way it ought to be. And that's why it's important then if you come to be in the body of Christ, that you're part of a community group, that you're in a Bible study. So month, during this month and December particularly, we're inviting lots and lots of people into our church as normal, but on a little different level. And during this time, we're, we're developing more and more small groups on Sundays and other times so we can invite people into community groups where they can know and be known. It's so, it's so important. You can't just come to Baptist Mass, you know, show up on Sunday and leave and grow in Christ. God didn't make you for that. He made you for others. So imagine this guy's predicament, right? He doesn't have that. He's unclean. He's out of fellowship with his family and his faith family. And he's condemned. I mean, people around would say, I wonder what he did. I always knew, I always knew there was something about that guy. You can imagine the sneers, the mocking, the gossip, the slander, condemned. There are people who are like that, maybe even in this room. You feel condemned. I remember one of our ministries that Leslie and I were in for a long time dealt with singles, and we had all types of, all types of backgrounds, all types of people that would come into our ministry from all walks of life. I mean, you can name it, we had it. And I can remember on one occasion that I had one of these guys would sit down with me, and he'd say, hey, hey, I need to talk to you. Yeah hey, do you know what kind of people are coming into this ministry? And I would say, like, like what kind of people? And he would tell me. Now, and I would say, aren't are these the kind of people that ought to come into our ministry? People that are broken and far from God? People that need Jesus? On one occasion, we had a girl named Becky. She's a single mom. And uh, some guys came and said, hey, we need to talk to you. Uh, do you know where Becky works? I do know where Becky works. Not because I've ever been there, but because she's told me. She worked in a club. She worked in a club, and she came to our ministry, and we kept ministering to her, and we kept trying to reach out to Christ. And I'm going to tell you a long story short on her is that she gave her life to Christ. It was after a long period of time. She's even been to this church since being saved, uh, being back in this, this area. But people ask him, do you, do you know where she works? We would ask Becky, Becky, are you going to come out of that lifestyle? Can we help you? What can we do to help you as a single mom? Have a job. Get, get out of that lifestyle. It was a long time before she got out of that lifestyle. But she told me this. She said, you know, when I come here sometimes, I feel condemned. And then she said, and then she said, and there are other people listening to this conversation. Not only do I feel condemned, I feel condemned by the very men that actually show up at the club. The truth is, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is a place where anyone ought to be able to come and not be turned away because Jesus turns towards them. I think, I think we're that. But I want us to be better all of the time knowing this is the type of place where people who are far from God can come and know that there is hope in Jesus Christ, can be loved by a community of people who are just simply genuine, who are real, who aren't fake and pretend and plastic. Here he is facing his own mortality, right? This is not a natural place. We weren't built to die. I've said it a million times, and if Jesus lets me preach longer, I'll say it a million more. God did not create us to die. He did not create us to die. I've stood by hospice beds with some of you, and some of you stood with us and with our family. And every time we're in that hospice situation, the question some, well, not every time, but a lot of times it comes up this way. I wonder how much longer. I wonder how much longer. And, and, and then someone would say, I, I don't know how to pray, Pastor, because I don't want them to leave, but they're suffering, and I know it would be better for them to go on to be with the Lord. I, just, I really struggle in that prayer. We, we know that's like. And then for the family to come around and say, let's pray. Because our, our loved one, man, they want to go home. They, they've told us they want to go home. I've had dear saints of God look at me in the eye and say, Pastor, I've run the race. I'm ready to go home. And I think they're going home. And months later, they're still here. And it tells me a number of things, but one thing I want you to know is this. It doesn't matter that you're ready to go home. You are built to live, and your body will fight. And it is a sign that we were not built for death. We were made to live forever. And therefore, this man facing his mortality is expressing in that moment, I need help. What's great about him is that Jesus turns towards him. In 1 John chapter 5, listen to this passage. I love this one. 1 John 5. John says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right there. He hears us. It's in 1 John 5. You can look at it later. But that term, he hears us, is basically the idea that he turns towards us. I know what that's like because I've, I've heard my kids call out, Dad, and I turn around. What's up? What's wrong? What's wrong? That's what the Father does. And that's what Jesus does here. And that's what he'll do for you. If you're here today and you would say, man, I am broken. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm far from God. I need help. He will not turn away. Others might. He never will. So he turns to Jesus. Jesus turns to him. He turns to Jesus and look how he does it. I love how he prays. So let's look at his prayer. He turns to Jesus knowing that Jesus is his hope because he has watched others who've walked in the hope of Christ. There are people watching you. They are. They're wanting you to know how you handle that layoff, how you handle that rebellious child. They want to know how you handle discouragement. They want to know how you handle difficulty. They want to know how you live in this messed up world. They want to know how you handle your money, how you handle your time. And they're going to watch. And if they see Jesus is all for you, it's a testimony to them, there's hope. He's seen hope, and he knows Jesus now must be the only one who can help him. So he comes desperately imploring Jesus. He's very humble, isn't he? He gets on his knee. And he doesn't say this, because I've heard someone even this week tell me this, Pastor, if God does this, then I'll do that. That's not what this guy does. If, for, if in your heart, and sometimes it's a good intention, but let me just set you free from this. If you think that you can make a deal with God, shake his hand, God, if you will, then I will, don't even go there. Because God won't be in the debt of any man. 
God will never be in the debt of any man. In fact, he doesn't do for us what he does for us because we do something for him. We get God to do what he does for us because he is something. It is his faithfulness, not ours. In fact, if you were to say today, I'd get saved, pastor, but I don't know that I have enough faith. Let me set you free. You never will. You don't have to. In fact, what you can do is you can come to God believing, and he, because he's faithful, will save you. It's not based on how much faith you have, but how faithful he is. That's a good word. He was believing. This guy came simply believing. There's a bunch of nonsense in our world, right? I mean, I've been a part of it sometimes and embarrassing to say, but one of the things that I've seen are that there are people, and yes, maybe well-intended still, who say that if you believe enough, then God will do what you ask. And if you don't believe enough, he won't. I've had to counsel people in our church to walk with them through bad counsel. A friend who said the reason God's not healing you is because you're not believing enough. You can never believe enough. I believe God can heal. We fasted and prayed for people in our church and watched God take away cancer. Okay? We fasted and prayed and watched God take him to heaven. I don't know. I have never gone to a hospital room and, and said, I'm going to pray believing, God, I know you're going to do this. You know why? Because I never know. That used to bother me. Because the faith crowd, the charismatic crowd, they would tell you, if you just believe enough, and then this God, God will do this. Like, we can twist God's arm. Mike Rains and I, Mike, Mike's a, a guy in our church. He's a big guy. You'll know him when you see him because he'll fill up a door. He played for the, um, the Crimson Tide, and he played for the San Francisco 49ers. So I, I said, Mike, you, man, when he talks, people listen. So you go to youth camp with me. I was invited to preach at youth camp, and he went with me. We didn't know what we were getting set up for, but there was a, a group that was leading music that were from the charismatic persuasion. And so what they did is they taught all of these kids in secrecy when we were not meeting in public that these kids could be delivered from the demons of their anxiety, the demons of their anger. They could be healed if they just believed enough. And it was just really causing confusion among the camp. And lots of churches were gathered together. And so they came to, to me and Mike and said, what should we do? And we just looked at him and said, man, you need to dismiss that group because they're causing havoc and confusion. And so they did because we believe this. God can do whatever God wants when he wants to do it, but nobody's going to twist his arm. He's sovereign. And sometimes he chooses not to heal in order to show his strength through your weakness. Sometimes your weakness, your sickness, your illness, your deficiencies are ways in which God gets the glory. This man comes and he doesn't believe that God can't heal, he just knows God can if he's willing to at this point. His life's a mess, but his theology's squared away. He doesn't say, if you're able, he says, I know you can if you're willing. That'll help us. I mean, I have never been told God's going to heal somebody. I don't know where that comes from in the Bible but I believe it will heal. One of my buddies died. And I went in the room, and I got on my knees, and I asked God to raise him from the dead. Did I believe God was going to raise him from the dead? Not really. It bugged me, too, because I was like, I know you can, but I don't really know that you will. But that is faith, isn't it? Knowing God can, 
but just trusting that he'll do what he wills. Secondly, look at this. Jesus will not turn away, but he will turn you around. Verse 41, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. You see the Savior's compassion here, don't you? He was moved with pity. Maybe your Bible says compassion. What is compassion? What is compassion? Well, it's, 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 it's when you're moved in your spirit. Well, it's more than that. It's more than empathy and it's more than emotion. Compassion is not true or real unless you do something. James says, if you see your brother without a jacket and you've got two and you just say, hey man, the old southern thing, praying for you and move on, where's that love? Well, give him a jacket. Give him your coat. Compassion's not truly compassion unless you're willing to do something. And Jesus does. He does the unthinkable. He reaches out and touches the untouchable. You're not supposed to even be near a leper. But here Jesus puts his hand out and he touches him, giving him himself. He shows him compassion. This guy has not had the joy of human touch. Now, we're not told how long, but I'm sure we can be accurate when we say he's missed whatever family he's had, the hugs, the kisses, the handshakes. You know, when you come to church, it's, a, it's an unusual place because there's a, lot of a, there's a lot of appropriate contact that takes place. You know, like we shake hands a lot, and that's pretty cool, and we should. Right? Appropriate contact in a handshake means a full handshake with a full clasp that grips pretty tightly and is not a dead fish and doesn't hold on too long. Sometimes it's a hug, isn't it? Sometimes it's a holy kiss. You know what a holy kiss is? Someone said that's the kiss that the flesh gets no pleasure out of. Yeah, I had a brother from the Spanish church hug me and kiss me on the cheek. All right. I got no pleasure out of that, and I made sure nobody else was looking. That was a holy kiss, man. You know what? There's just sometimes where somebody here needs to know they're loved and they need a handshake. They need a hug. They need someone to come alongside them and say, I care. They came here thinking no one cares. There, there, there's some mamas here. They don't even think their husbands care about them. There's some children here who don't think their parents care about them. Whether that's true or not, we, we look at Jesus and see what Jesus does. He shows compassion. He does something. He meets a need. This is a season when we can meet a need. I'm going to ask you to do this. This is our invitation today in just a moment we move into. But part of our invitation is I'm going to ask you to make a move of compassion. Because right now, you, if you will think about it with me, there's somebody that you know that's lost their husband or wife. And they're at home crying every day. Every day. Yes, ask how they're doing. I'm good. God's good. God's faithful. But behind closed doors, they weep and they cry themselves to sleep. And you know some widows, right? And they're living at home and they're so lonely. They just want somebody to call them on the phone. They just would love for somebody to stop by and say hello. Someone to know that cares about them, right? You, you know a neighbor down the street and you know they're single and they're older. And, and, and you don't see family come around a whole lot. Well, you know, that they just need some compassion. We talked about people in need of food. There are people who are in need of food. But more than that, there are people in need of the love of Christ. 
I'm going to ask you, as a family, to adopt, if you haven't already, at least one person outside of your immediate family that needs to know they're loved and they're cared for and that they are shown compassion. And that you don't just do it occasionally, but that you pray and you say, God, who is it that we can regularly love and care for? Can you imagine the difference you might make in that widow's life? That widower's life? That difference you might make in that orphan's life? Just as a family say, we're going to love them. We're going to make this season for them special as best we can. We can't replace whom they lost. We can't come alongside and be what everything they need to be. Only Jesus can do that. But we're going to be the hand of Jesus. So I need somebody like that, Pastor. Where do we find somebody like that? I don't really know. No one came to my mind. This place called Connect Point over here is there so we can help connect you to ministry. And I will assure you, if you go to Connect Point today and you say, Pastor was talking about showing compassion to people who are in need, we're ready. Where do we sign up? And can you tell us who might need that? We'll do that. We'll do that. We have so many outlets for that. So many opportunities for that. More than we have people stepping in. But let's don't be that way. Let's go care and show the love of Christ to people. Here's what Jesus does. Now, let us close this out. Jesus gives this man cleansing. You are clean. He cleanses them, and then he gives them a commission. I love this, too. He gives them purpose. All right, you've been a leper, and now you're clean. You're going to be restored back to your family. However, I also have a purpose for you to fulfill. When God saved you, he saved you and set you free from your sin and made you a citizen of heaven. Hey, but God has a purpose for you as well. This guy's purpose was to go to the priest and tell the priest what had happened so that it would be a witness to all the people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Pretty simple. Jesus is doing what Jesus always does. He's following the Bible. It's required of a leper to go after he's been cleansed to the priest so that there can be a ceremony of cleansing for eight days, blood to be shed by two birds, one uh, by one bird, the blood of that one bird put on another bird, that bird fly away, showing that through blood there's cleansing. This is being a, a testimony. The, the reason you might would say, well, Jesus wanted him to do this is because we see that because the man did not do this, Jesus could not go into towns anymore and minister. You'd be right. That's the pragmatic, that's the, that's the ramifications of disobedience. But the reason Jesus told this man to do what he's supposed to do is because the Bible says this is what you're supposed to do in Leviticus chapter 14. In other words, God didn't just save you to forgive your sin. He saved you to do what he says. Some of you might wander around and say, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Start with doing what you know he said to do. That's good, y'all. I don't know the will of God. Start doing the things you know he said to do. Like, have you been baptized yet? Have, have you been in the Word, meditating it at day and night? Are you sharing the gospel with others? Are you giving of your tithes and offerings to the Lord? If you're wandering around wondering, I need purpose, start there with what you know you've been told to do. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. It's the will of God. Do it. So this man doesn't do what he's supposed to do. God wants him to go and to be faithful to His Word. Now, at this point, no one's ever been to the priest who's been cleansed. So when the priest sees that a man has truly been cleansed, they'll know the Messiah is here. When, we be, when we're obedient to the Lord, when we're obedient to Christ in hard things, in difficult things, others know that Jesus Christ is our Messiah. Last thing, 
is this. Jesus requires everyone to come on Jesus' terms. This man came, and you see how he came submissively. He came and prayed a very simple prayer, love his prayer. You know, a lot of our prayers are like bills going to Capitol Hill. They get attached with all kinds of other things. This man just said, will you make me clean? He's like Peter sinking down, Lord save me. He's like the tax collector in Matthew 18 that says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he was saved. This is a very simple prayer. But it was a prayer of believing. And he came on his own terms, Jesus' terms. Now Jesus is forced because of this man's disobedience to go into desolate places. What's going on there? It was pretty clear. A lot of people were coming to Jesus and they just wanted something. Show us some magic show. Give us some sort of miracle. Give us something. So Jesus cannot do ministry as he was once doing it. Going to Capernaum, going to these towns. Now, listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. God is sovereign. Jesus is not now having to resort to another plan. Jesus didn't wring his hands with his disciples and go, what do we do now? Got messed up. Guess we got to go to the wilderness. This is all along God's plan. All along God's plan. Because God is sovereign. And when Jesus goes into the wilderness, people now are going to seek him, and they're going to seek Jesus on Jesus' terms. They're going out to see him. It's not convenient to go see him. God's calling some of you today. And you go, well, it's really not that convenient today. I got some stuff that I got to get squared away. I got some stuff I got to fix. Today's not the greatest day for me to come. You don't come on your own terms. It's not easy to get to the wilderness either. Well, I'm not sure if I come to Jesus what it will cost me. It will cost you everything. Just go ahead and mark it down. It is not easy to come to Christ. But it's right. But if you'll come... He'll give you a heart of flesh. He'll take your heart of sin that's leprous and he'll remove it and give you his heart of righteousness. What an exchange. What an exchange. In fact, don't miss this in the, in the text. Don't miss this in the text. What Jesus does for this man is what he can do for you. You say, well, I'm not a leper, but you're a sinner. And leprosy in the Bible is oftentimes a metaphor for sin. Imagine you're living in the first century. Imagine you're living in the first century you get up out of bed, probably you got a lot of people in your house because they're your family and it's crowded, and you look and you're, on your hand there's a white spot, and you go, oh no, what is that? It doesn't bother you much, you don't think much of it, but the next day you get up and it's gotten a little bigger, and you think, that's, that's a little concerning, and, and then you get up the next day and it's a little bigger, and it begins to spread up your arm, and now you're hiding it, and you're begging God, God, please don't let this be any type of malign malignant skin condition, don't let this be leprosy, God, please, but because you can't do anything about it, it continues to spread. So now you're at a point of desperation because you're becoming sick and fatigued and you can't get out of bed. And so the doctors come and, then, and they call the priest because now this is a religious situation. This is not only a physical situation. You, you, you're, you're under the judgment of God. You have to leave your home. You have to leave your friends and your, your, your workplace and you've got to go live in a community of lepers until you die. So you, you, you can... Understand this guy. But sin's like that. Sin's like that. Sin is like that little spot that shows up and you go, oh, that's not a big deal, I'll fix it. You, you know what sin, you know our society calls sin all types of things, but we in the church know sin is sin, sin is against God, sin is rebellion. But you know, I'll fix it. I, I know it's sin, but I'll fix it. There's got to be some sort of technique, there's got to be some sort of path I can follow, some steps I can take. You know, I just need to get in the right environment, I'll be better. 
all of those things, but sin is a heart issue. It's serious. And if you don't deal with it, like leprosy, it spreads. It doesn't stay stagnant. It gets worse. It gets worse, and it numbs you even to its pain to where now you can sin, and you don't think anything of it. But it separates. Sin always separates. Death is the ultimate separation. We've said bye to so many people who we have been temporarily separated from because they're in heaven now or they're in eternity now. But there is a sin that leads to death, an unbelief in Christ that will lead to an eternal death, an eternal separation. And if your sin's not dealt with, then you're going to die and you're going to spend a Christless eternity in hell. And the only hope for the leprosy of sin is to go to the great physician, Jesus Christ, who came to make an incredible exchange with you. You know what an exchange is, don't you? Right? You know what an exchange is? This is crazy. You see it in this text. Jesus is approached by the leper who is isolated from his family, from his congregation, from his faith family. He's isolated and separated. He comes to Jesus. Jesus heals him. This man is now restored to God, restored to his faith family, and restored to his home. And Jesus now has to go and be isolated in a desolate place, away from his family, away from his congregation, out in the wilderness. That's what he's willing to do, to exchange his life for yours. He suffered punishment so that we could have forgiveness. He died on a cross so that we could live. He came out of a tomb so we could join him in the resurrection. He was cursed so that we could enjoy the blessings of God. He became poor for our sake that we might become rich. We can have his glory because he embraced the shame of the cross. He exchanged his own righteousness for the sin of anyone who would come and say, Jesus, make me clean. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us a text like this in Mark. And God, you've helped us to understand the great miracle of salvation. Greater, greater is the miracle of salvation than even physical healing. Because you take what is broken and you make it new. And what is far from you and you reconcile us to God. Thank you for saving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's our invitation. I told you it's going to be a little different today, and I'm going to ask you two things. I'm going to talk to Christians here, okay? And I'm going to ask you as a Christian, let me be very clear, as a Christian to come to Jesus. I grew up in a church, um, and we, I get this question sometimes, hey, pastor, how come you don't talk about people coming and re rededicating their lives to God? I, I grew up in a church that was like that. Like every Sunday, people would come, and I'm rededicating my life to God, and I thought that was great until I began to grow a little more as a Christian. I realized, and I hope you realize this too, you don't get saved because you dedicate your life to God. You get saved because he dedicated his life to you. Y'all, that's big. Because every religion in the world says dedicate your life to God and you can go to heaven. But Christianity says you got nothing to dedicate but sin and brokenness and leprosy. You only are saved because of the single work of Christ who dedicated himself to you. So since... Listen to this, since I didn't dedicate anything to God when I got saved, I don't have anything to rededicate to God. I can repent of sin, by the way. 
I can repent of sin. I can repent of sin. I have to regularly. Of being disobedient to God. Of not doing what he says or doing what he tells not to do. So I'm going to ask you as a Christian to come to Jesus today. Because our only hope for a leprous heart is not more discipline. Trying harder. Better techniques, better environments. All those things are great. All those things are important. I mean, very, very important. But if your heart is going to be right with God, it's because there's a God who does surgery in your heart, the great physician who makes you right. And even as a Christian, we need to be regularly being made right. And he's the one who does it. So I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus, secondly. Secondly. I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus, secondly. You ready? Say yes. Okay, pretty good. Ready for a second? Say yes. Okay, good, because this is for all of us, including myself. Go to the suffering. In fact, during this invitation, instead of coming up front, you might say, man, I'm going to Connect Point this morning, and I'm going right now, because I love obedience. Obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with the right heart attitude. So right now, you're like, I'm not going to wait till the end of the service. I'm going right now to Connect Point. Hook me up. Tell me about who I can serve with. How can I serve others? I want to show compassion. Maybe you already know what that is. Then talk about it. Like, like don't, don't just hide it in your heart. <laughs> tell, your, tell, your, tell your husband, tell your wife, tell your family, hey, this is what we're going to do. Or this is what I believe God's leading us to do. Let's pray about it. You might even want to come here and say, we're going to go to the hurting and, be, and show compassion. What if everybody in this room right now chose to be compassionate to somebody that's far from God? What a difference. What a difference. Stand up. We're going to have our invitation. You do what God's laid you on your heart to do. Be obedient to God right now. Father, I pray you're well done in Jesus' name. Amen.